Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we're going to discuss why Concord matters for Lutheran education. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this matter today is Pastor Robert Paul. He is associate pastor and headmaster at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Pastor Paul, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, real honored to have you on. Great joy. And today, as we talk about why Concord matters for Lutheran education, I just want to make the point in kind of setting up here that probably not unknown to the listeners of a show like this, but not always well known, is that for Luther and the Reformers, education was a very key component to the Reformation. And how we get to education also, I would say, is a key component. And I've tried to do that in this little mini-series within this Concord Matters series that I've been going through here with the last several shows progressing through talking about why Concord matters for the Christian confessional family, and then why Concord matters for catechesis. And then comes the episode that we have you on today for, Pastor Paul, with why Concord matters for Lutheran education. So just real briefly, how does Lutheran education serve as an extension of those things, the Christian confessional family and catechesis? How does that fit in there? Well, first of all, the scriptures tell us that we are to train and instruct our children, and chiefly we are to train and instruct them in the scriptures, but Moses Jesus and many other examples throughout the Bible are instructed not only in the scriptures, but also in sort of the ways of the world, right? Moses is instructed in all of the knowledge of the Egyptians. You can bring in Daniel and the three young men and all those taken out of Jerusalem. They were instructed in the ways of Babylon in order to serve their neighbors. And there is a place for worldly education, so to speak, in the life of the Christian founded first and foremost on the scriptures and the identity that God gives to us in baptism. So what we've done in America over the past century and change is allowed those two worlds, the world of the subject matter and the world of catechesis to be split instead of seeing them as much of the world did prior to the enlightenment as one universal body of knowledge founded on the scriptures, permeated by the scriptures, but extending into all the things that we would think are not Christian, math, literature, science, history, grammar, etc. I like how you made the point there that it's this universal knowledge, and that would imply that it all fits together then. And I forget where I was just reading this just recently here, but someone, a thinker in our culture, was making the point that We've turned our universities, which would work with that same assumption that it is all linked together. And he talks about multiversities, how we've pulled these things apart and so forth. And that's, you're making the point here, not the traditional Christian view that we view all of life as connected together, right? It pulls together. And so that would be our Lutheran view then as well. Yes. It's really difficult if we don't understand when it comes to the Book of Concord all of the men who are writing it look at the world from that universal knowledge perspective. They may be Germans, but they are Germans from a century before the Germans changed education. This splitting out of subjects is a result of the 19th century Berlin University reform, where everything is a different field of study, not connected to anything else. In the time of Luther and Melanchthon, 
and certainly those who write the formula of Concord, their knowledge would be that in the cast of Christian humanism, which understood grammar, logic, rhetoric, mathematical arts, history, poetry, music, philosophy, theology, to be all part of one grand system of knowledge that we participate in and hand down. And I think that's really come out in this series really well also, is that as we've gone through and taking a look at essentially different themes, if you will, you know, why Concord matters for the care of souls, why Concord matters for the advent of Christ, why Concord matters for the confessional family, all of these different themes. It's interesting how it's always come back to this point that it's all coming from this body of doctrine that essentially each of my guests have made the point, yeah, they're talking about all of these things. And while we talk about it for an hour in a podcast show here like this, really, it is all connected together. And a lot of the same similar points continue to be made. And so I've kind of liked and enjoyed how that's been brought out and going through this series. And so I think really excellent then to talk about Lutheran education and why Concord matters for that as connected with this body of doctrine that it's not just the sake of sheer knowledge of our doctrines, but that it matters in how we view Lutheran education. But a lot to talk about here. I'm really excited about this episode with you. We'll continue to unfold more of that as we get in here. But I think maybe a good place to start then after seeing that connection with that little progression that we've been doing is to lay our confessional foundation, if you will. As we say, Concord matters. We're talking about from the book of Concord and what we have believed, taught, and confessed from Scripture about this matter, which is Lutheran education. Give us that foundation. What are some places that confessionally we speak about Lutheran education? So there are three places that I think it'd be helpful to go. And before I say what those are, I actually want to say the places that your listeners should go to next after they're done with thinking about this from the Book of Concord. The first is Luther's letter to maintain and establish schools in 1524. This can be found in Luther's works. It can be found probably on the internet. And it can also be found in a a small volume on Lulu by Joel Brandes. He put together Luther and Melanchthon on education. The volume is called No Greater Treasure. And so that work is written before the confessions in terms of the Augsburg, the Apology, and the Catechisms. The second text that people should go to after thinking about this from the confessions is Luther's sermon on the duty of sending children to school. That's in 1530, and that's essentially right after the large catechism. So when we talk about the large catechism later on, it'd be great if someone's interested to go from our discussion on the large catechism to Luther's sermon the following year on the duty of sending children to school. So those two works, and you can get some more in his early treatise, the letter to the Christian nobility in 1520, but not confessional, but within the lines that we're going to be laying out today on a confessional look at education. The first place inside the Book of Concord that we should go is the small catechism, and it's in the preface. So if it's in the Concordia, we're talking about paragraph 19, the CPH edition in the second edition. If you have your regular small catechism, it's in the back. And it's where Luther is laying out what everyone should do with regards to learning, that they should learn the small catechism, they should learn the meaning after the text, they should then take up the large catechism after the short catechism, and here in paragraph 19, here's Luther, in this matter, you should especially urge magistrates and parents to rule well and to send their children to school. Show them why it is their duty to do this that has raised them in the faith and Christian living, and what a damnable sin they are committing if they do not do it. For by such neglect they overthrow and destroy both God's kingdom and that of the world. They act as the worst enemies both of God and of people. Make it very plain to them what an awful harm they are doing if they will not help to train children to be pastors, preachers, clerks, and to fill other offices that we cannot do without in this life. God will punish them terribly for this failure. There is a great need to preach this. So it's the duty of the family 
to send boys, and Luther will argue in other places, girls too, to school in order to be educated so that they may serve in their vocations. Education is not merely for the sake of a job, but education beyond what we mostly understand as catechesis, right? Subject matter exists for the purpose of living the Christian life. As you make that point, one of the things that came out in the previous episode on why Concord matters for catechesis, we talked about how it is the duty of parents, scripturally and confessionally, to educate their children uh, or to catechize their children. And that shows up certainly in the small catechism as well. Each section begins with, as the head of the household should teach in a simple way. But yet here he talks about school. Uh, would he have in mind what we have in mind when it comes to school, that kind of formal building institution and so forth? Or how would he be talking about this here? Schools would be formal for Luther. And ironically, they would be state run, which is something that our Lutheran schools are not, which is, is nice for our context. Right? Luther's context is very different. He lives in Christendom, where the government is Christian, and the government can exercise Christian education through government schools. These schools would be set up in churches, alongside churches. I was reading just the other day, actually about Greek and the program to restore Greek in Germany, in, in the Lutheran lands. And one of the reasons why Greek and Latin did so well in the hands of those after Luther and Melanchthon is because it was state funded. So they would be government schools in Luther's context, but they would be government schools that taught the catechism, which we can't really understand as Americans, since there weren't public schools until around the same time that our forebears made it into Perry County. And so our schools grew up at the same time in America as the government schools. But our schools in America for Lutherans, although they weren't government run and still aren't, back in Walther's day, were still more similar to Luther's schools because Luther's schools taught Latin, taught history, poetry, literature, music, theology. They were built on the liberal arts, which is how Luther was educated and how Melanchthon was educated and how they believed others should be educated. So the school would be a school building. You can read more about the workings of schools in Luther's day and after in Bugenhagen's church order, which Fortress Press sells two volumes on Bugenhagen's writings, and you can actually find the church order, the school order in there, which is very fascinating to read. And then our own CPH in Chemnitz's works has the school order in the, I think it's volume nine, the gray volume. And there, the school day, how the boys are split up according to age and skill, it's all laid out when they'll go to church, what they'll pray, what books they'll read. So it's a very formal, this is not homeschooling, which has more of an American context. This is formal schooling run by the government, but entirely Lutheran. So it's very weird for an American mind to sort of grasp. Well, and I make that point and bring that in because it's a several different things about our present context as well. And you've highlighted some of those. But one of them is certainly the idea of the connection with the church and the family in partnering to form the holistic view, that universal body of knowledge in forming a child and educating them, right? Yes. Yeah. And you find that in Luther's other writings where it's very clear. We send our children to school not because it's their job to educate, but because mom and dad have lots of things to do at home. And we have qualified persons, pastors, teachers in Luther's day, and then that carries on in the Lutheran tradition, who do this teaching in the place of the parent. The modern Missouri context with called teachers, etc., takes many steps to get there, and we don't have to cover that here. But Lutheran education in its purest sense, if we wish to boil it down from Luther and Melanchthon to us, is that it is the church and the family, and by extension, the community taking care of the children. I mean, Luther saw that the government was an extension of the family. That's very clear in the fourth commandment and the large catechism. You don't even have to go to Luther outside the Book of Concord to be able to devise that. And so education really does find its home, pardon the pun, 
with mom and dad first. And this is all education, right? Catechesis and the subject matter. I tend to include, when I talk about catechesis, I actually make it broader to some people's chagrin. And it includes everything. It's not just learning the catechism. Because how a Christian handles English is different from how a non-Christian handles English. How a Christian handles math is different from how a non-Christian handles math. At least it should be. And we don't need to go very far outside the scriptures and the confessions to make those points. And I'm with you there. And, and I think that's an excellent way to state it. And also to bring out, too, that, as you said, Luther saw the government and community as an extension of the family. And while we believe that according to scripture, and again, probably people who listen to a show like this, that's probably not all that new information or all that shocking. But to our modern kind of context and the culture around us, that is really quite different than what we commonly seem to understand. And so I brought that in mostly because then when you see that connection, I think that helps us understand the other words that Luther brings out here in the preface that you talked about of how you're training them for these roles in life. It's all for the production of all of these various extensions of the family, if you will. Well, and while we're at this, let's go to the large catechism, because in the fourth commandment on the large catechism, starting around 170, we get further exposition on mom and dad's role in raising their children as regards education. So this is large catechism, fourth commandment, paragraph 170. And really, I mean, we could jump in later, but we'll paraphrase. So in 170, Luther criticizes parents for thinking that children are just for amusement and pleasure and servants, which are jokes that we do still tell about our children, right? We just had children, so that way we'd have someone to clean up the house for us or something interesting when the power goes out. But Luther says, no, around 172, for if we wish to have excellent and able persons, both for civil and church leadership, we must spare no diligence, time, or cost in teaching and educating our children so that they may serve God and the world. We must not think only about how we may amass money and possessions for them. God indeed can support and make them rich without us as he daily does. But for this purpose, he has given us children and issued this command. We should train and govern them according to his will. Otherwise, he would have no purpose for a father and a mother. Therefore, let everyone know that it is his duty, on peril of losing the divine favor, to bring up his children in the fear and knowledge of God above all things. And if the children are talented, have them learn and study something, that they may be hired for whatever need there is. So there's a couple of interesting things here. First of all, this should leave no doubt in a Lutheran's mind that Lutherans are specifically called to educate their children. Of all the denominations that exist in the wide world and in the American world, we Lutherans are called by the scriptures and our confessions to be in charge of the education of our children and not to cast aspersions or judgment. I went to public school, government school, kindergarten through 12th, and my parents are faithful, church-going Lutherans. But in our world, discussions like this on the confessions should cause moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and faithful churchmen and church ladies alike to question what's going on in education when it's not a Lutheran education first and secondly, an education that seeks to give all good things to children instead of just doing what we're used to doing, depending upon our context, actually sitting down and thinking about what kind of an education our children are getting. So that's the first thing. The second is that this section of the large catechism was expanded in the Latin of the Book of Concord. So Book of Concord, we first get it with old German and some Latin parts, and then continues to be published in both languages, German and Latin, with translations of Luther on the side. And four years later, right, 1584, there's a little paragraph that if you're looking at the large catechism in, say, the triglot English, where I stopped, your version would keep going. And this is really interesting because of what kind of education the additional words 
added in Latin. Now and we have them in English, and I'm going to read them from the Triglata, what this does. So where I stopped reading, that they may be hired for whatever need there is. In the Triglot and in the Latin of 1584, you have this, for whatever need there is, to have them instructed and trained in a liberal education, that men may be able to have their aid in government and in whatever is necessary. It's really their works for government, so not necessarily aid, that they would have their works for government and whatever else is necessary, needed for men. Now, we'll come back in a minute and talk about what liberal education is and why it's translated like that and what it really is. But I think it's interesting that within four years, they wanted to expand and say what kind of an education it should be, not just generally educate. But there's a specific kind of education in mind here, which is kind of interesting. But to go into what this liberal education is, the actual Latin in the case that it belongs in here, is bonis literis. You'd see that as a regular old noun as boni literi. It means good letters, but it doesn't really mean good letters or good literature. In Luther's day, good literature, good letters was a call sign for the entire humanist, and when I say humanist, Christian humanist understanding of education. So this liberal means education for free men. Understand women too, but Lutherans mainly taught women the Bible and how to read for the Bible's sake. But it's for free mankind. So this is an education that includes grammar and logic and rhetoric, generally Latin, how sentences go together, how to speak publicly, how to persuade, how to make people happy and angry, rhetoric, that is. History, music, philosophy, theology, mathematics, what we would call science today, but really the examination of all of the world around us is more natural philosophy and natural science is what they would have understood. So when the large catechism edition, 1584, and this this exists, I'm not sure, it doesn't really exist in other Latin translations of the catechism. It really comes up in the Book of Concord and in editions that follow. But when the large catechism edition, 1584, says to be instructed and trained in a liberal education, this means that our Lutheran forebears still believed that a certain kind of education was the most compatible with the faith exposited in the Book of Concord. This is something that is necessary to be awakened toward. Sorry for that to be so passive in construction. But so many of us in America over the past few generations, if we were raised in non-Lutheran areas or nominally Lutheran areas, we were given a different kind of education. But our Lutheran forebears saw a correspondence between the faith they were handing over to their children and the education that they received to live out their lives. And I think that's a really important point to make, and especially something that I want to pick up on the other side of the break when we come back, because If you continue on in that fourth commandment in the large catechism there, I'll just read the next couple of lines, and I'm reading from the Concordia Reader's Edition from Concordia Publishing House. If that were done, God would also richly bless us and give us grace to train men by whom land and people might be improved. He would also bless us with well-educated citizens, chastened domestic wives, who afterward would raise godly children and servants. And basically, He's laying out this format of how we have well-rounded people for a well-rounded society that values these things and makes decisions that are good for the family, the community, government, you know, pulling from all of these things instead of what, as you said, we have this understanding of kind of this breaking these things out and getting so focused on a particular subject, if you will. And we have a different educational format for our background that I think, at least in our contemporary society, is part of why we see the responses that we have, say, to the pandemic and how we approach education in the midst of that and in the church. Is church essential or not? All of those matters. If we had the more well-rounded education, especially even among our Christians, to be having these voices out there in the culture, I think things might be a little different. I don't know. 
I want to get your thoughts on that, but I think I'm going to pick that up on the other side of the break. So we're going to take a break here, but come back as we talk a little more about why it's important to have this Lutheran understanding of education. So you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word. Every weekday from 11 to noon, we will receive the gift of God's Word and Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with Pastor Robert Paul, who's the Associate Pastor and Headmaster at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. And he's been leading us in this discussion of why Concord Matters for Lutheran education and laying from the confessional documents what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about Lutheran education. And as we've seen pulled out here, rather different understanding of what it is to educate and to bring up in a school according to the reformers time versus what we have probably in our background today. You've highlighted a few of those differences. And as you were talking and laying out there, and especially came out as you were going through the uh, fourth commandment there in that extra line that I put in there before break here, that I really thought this is a connection for our contemporary application, if you will. How do we think about life confessionally? And when we have the Lutheran understanding of education, that we're forming the whole person in the Christian faith as connected with one of those things that are needful for life, that it's not separate. It's not just personal opinion or things as people tend to think about religion today, but that all of these things actually fit together and historically would have fit in the category of the sciences in terms of education, especially theology there, that as we think about the pandemic and the responses that we've seen in our culture and society, I'm interested in what your thoughts are that we're the product of the education that we've received and some of the decisions that we're seeing today, I think. And if we had a little bit more of a a Lutheran education in the background of a lot of folks making the decisions, how it might be different. I don't know. What are your thoughts there? So on the one hand, many of the things that are going on today are the result of not having a liberal education, Lutheran or otherwise, because the liberal education of the liberal arts and sciences was championed by the Roman Catholic Church and remains in like a very loose shell form or skeleton form in say like Jesuit tradition. But the Jesuits were were really big proponents of the Erasmian, that is the liberal arts education. This also gets taken up by other Protestants. It starts to go away in a more puritanical form. That is the people who come over to America when it's colonies. When we're dealing with the colonies, the people who are here think about education differently than Lutherans or Roman Catholics did. And then, of course, keep fast forwarding and you get to a pragmatic education that only seeks to take care of the workforce and civic life. Not to say that civics is not important, but to boil life down into voting and getting a paycheck. That took place in the late 19th, early 20th century. And much of education, regardless of whether it was private or public, Christian or secular, fits that mold. And since that's the mold that it is, the mindset and worldview of many of the people who are policymakers is one of pragmatism and not about caring about the whole person. Now, one of the interesting things that has occurred, especially down here, maybe in other places too, I don't have enough anecdotes to say it's occurred elsewhere, but here in Houston, people who have never thought about a Lutheran education at all, very content in their public schools, their government schools, have flooded to our Lutheran schools in light of the pandemic, partly in order to make sure they could be in a building that was open, that had children seated in classrooms learning from teachers, 
but also because they want for their children the kind of education that Luther and Melanchthon stood for, that our confessions tie to our theology. En enrollment at our school is up drastically. I had to open a second kindergarten class and I still have wait lists for some grades because so many people are tired of the education that is giving them the reality they are living in and they desire something other. And our confessions and the scriptures provide for us an education that is other than what we're surrounded with in so many places in our country, in so many communities. And sadly, the education in so many schools that use curricula that don't come from a confessional worldview, that don't come from a confessional perspective, because that universality we mentioned earlier on in the show has been given up for just taken for granted, right? That a math textbook is true because it's a math textbook, not because it's been written from a particular perspective or otherwise. And that's a, that's a whole other tangent. But I think that one of the positive outcomes of the current climate is that many are being driven towards an education that is freeing because they see how enslaving an education not built on the gospel, not built for the benefit of humankind. They see how enslaving that is, and they don't want it. They want to flee that slavery to the grindstone and to submissiveness, and instead want to embrace an education that truly frees someone. And I think that is just so well said. And brings us back to what you said earlier, too, is that when we understand the classical term of a liberal education, that's really what we're talking about. It's a free man's education. And it really does free you up to think about these things as all interconnected, that when we make a decision about how we respond to a virus and a sickness, that's going to impact our humanness and how we act in humanity. And that's what had me thinking about asking your thoughts on that is because I just see what's the decisions being made. And it seems like we're forgetting, at least as I'm here in Illinois, which is taking a very different approach than Texas has, you know, that we've kind of set aside our humanity in so many things. And yeah, just formed by that pragmatic background in education, which is more enslaving. Anyway, we could maybe do a whole episode just on that. But I know that there's a lot more to get to. And especially as you've brought in that Luther and Melanchthon have laid out for us, and obviously they're the chief writers of a lot of the works that we have in the Book of Concord. I know you have something specifically from Melanchthon's pen that you want to bring into this discussion as well then, too. Yes. So if we leave the catechisms and go to the Apology, in Apology 15 on human traditions, we have an interesting discussion in terms of the traditions that Lutherans are keeping. And when Melanchthon is going through the traditions that Lutherans keep, singing psalms, the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, first of all, he to bring catechesis back into it, he jabs the adversaries because there's no catechizing of the children. This is paragraph 41 in Article 15 in the Concordia edition. Among the adversaries, there is no catechizing of the children, whatever, about which even the canons give commands. Among us, the pastors and ministers of the church are encouraged publicly to instruct and hear the youth. And then it continues into a discussion on sermons. Right, so this ceremony produces the best fruit. Paragraph 42, among the adversaries in many regions, no sermons are delivered during the entire year except during Lent. Yet the chief service of God is to preach the gospel. When the adversaries do preach, they speak of human traditions, of the worship of saints and similar trifles which the people justly hate. Therefore, they are immediately deserted in the beginning, after the reading of the gospel text. A few better ones begin now to speak of good works, but about the righteousness of faith in Christ and the comfort of the consciences, they say nothing. Indeed, this most wholesome part of the gospel, they rail at with their reproaches. On the contrary, in our churches, all the sermons are filled with such topics as these. And here's an interesting uh, list for our discussion. Repentance, the fear of God, faith in Christ, the righteousness of faith, the comfort of consciences by faith, the exercises of faith, prayer, what its nature should be, and that we should be fully confident that it is powerful, that it is heard, the cross, the authority of officials and all civil ordinances, 
The distinction between the kingdom of Christ or the spiritual kingdom and political affairs, marriage, the education and instruction of children, chastity, and all the offices of love. From this condition of the churches, it may be determined that we earnestly keep church discipline, godly ceremonies, and good church customs. So in the list of things that Lutheran sermons are filled with, we find that pastors preach about the education and instruction of children. And this is why Concord matters for education, because this is not just something that we let should be letting people do without any say from God's word. We should be preaching as pastors, which you and I are, about education. And that seems a little strange because I think we're used to, even within our own practices, we're used to relegating, oh, we'll talk about worldly things somewhere else maybe, but mostly when we preach, we want to preach about doctrine and clear things. And yet Melanchthon can talk about how our sermons are full of all kinds of things, including a discussion of education. And even in there, too, talking once again about our understanding of the role of those in authority in politics and things of that nature, again, it sees that universally formed person, right, that all of these things are connected together and that we should talk about these things from the creator of them all, God, who gives it to us in his word. And that, I would at least argue, also then informs what we do in education. Obviously, that list specifically talking about preaching, but I'm going to say that's connected in terms of education again as well, that that's what we seek to do in that Lutheran liberal education is that we're going to have to talk about these things. As you said, math, what is it to be a Christian, a Lutheran Christian mathematician? Obviously, science, you know, especially with the scientism that's present in our culture today, we need to talk very faithfully about those matters and teach from those matters from a Christian biblical worldview. And a lot of folks would be okay with that. But I think, once again, we're kind of a product of our society that we pull these things out and we separate them out and we say, yeah, you can talk about repentance and faith and those sorts of things. And those are kind of a matter of a private opinion and just a matter for the church and so forth. But when it comes to talking about these other things, political decisions, how we lead in the government, how we do math, how we pursue science, those sorts of things, those are separate from your private Christian views. And we say, no, they're under the purview of what we preach from the pulpit and what we're teaching in our school. It's actually essential to these things, right? It's the result of modernism, unfortunately. And when I say modernism, I really think I mean the past hundred and, well, now it's a little more than that, maybe 140 years, the late 19th century throughout the 20th century has done a very good job of analyzing and dividing everything up. Nothing is really allowed to be connected to one another. And if it is connected, it's actually new and exciting because we've all forgotten that it used to all be connected. So you have college curricula that say writing across the curriculum because apparently you used to not write in certain classes, but now we can again. I find that very funny. Also, in some textbooks today, they're combining math and science and arguing that this is great because we should really be teaching math and science together. And yet, if you go back and read, you know, Newton and all of the ones who are the most famous for discovering what God left there for them to discover in terms of calculus, and they saw it all as interconnected from the beginning. They didn't need to have separate textbooks for math and science. They saw it all as one big thing with different facets, like a beautiful diamond. And yet, nowadays, people think that this interconnectivity is so novel because they've been raised to imagine that everything is divided out into its own little specific, you know, neatly packaged parcel. And that analytical way of looking at the world does come at odds with the scriptural way of looking at the world. Deuteronomy 6 tells us that we should have the word of God front and center no matter what we're doing, right? Laying down, standing up, when we wake up, when we go to bed, when we have our children walking by the way, the word of God is to be front and center. It's to be in between our eyebrows. It's to be on our hearts. It's to be everywhere. And we've fallen prey to the analytical and subdivided world that is modernity. And we get very comfortable 
living out our lives in little segments. Instead, the scriptures and the confessions call us to a united life. There are certain divisions, kingdom of left and kingdom of right. There are divisions, but divisions of one big grand whole, not tiny little microcosms. And so it is nice to be called back to that universal, in the words of the confessions, just in the same way that all of scripture is for reproof, correction, rebuke for training in righteousness, and for every good thing in Second Timothy. That's what Melanchthon is getting at here in preaching. Which I think, not to just make this all about contemporary applications and so forth, but as you were talking there too, I was thinking that this modern understanding that we have and that we just kind of operate with in our culture around us and has been influential even for in my life and in my background in history as well. And you know, it takes sitting down and thinking about things and evaluating things to, in essence, repent from some directions that you're going that maybe aren't all that faithful of directions for you. But to bring me back to my point here, as you were talking, I was thinking about one of the things that is really pushed these days is an effort to get people back into the trades and valuing that. And as Lutherans, we can certainly talk about the value of vocation and those who work in the trades, wonderful vocational work there for them and so forth. And some people might hear what we're saying about liberal education, classically liberal education, or the Lutheran understanding of education. And they say, well, that's all well, fine and good if you're going to be a pastor or a teacher or, you know, those sorts of career paths and so forth like that. But, you know, we really want people, we want our children to be back in the trades or we want to push that. And it's kind of like, again, we fall into that segmented idea where the end goal of education becomes then what Luther actually rails against, as you brought out earlier, especially in the fourth commandment of just having them get a job for the sake of making money and so forth when the Lord can provide for that. But that becomes the end goal of it all is just to get that job in that trade or even outside of the trades, just whatever it may be, that segmented part of your life. But as we've talked about, we have a more holistic view of forming a person. And so I guess to bring it to a question here for you, what would you then say is the end or goal or purpose of Lutheran education, and does it apply to even those who want the vocation of the trades? Here at Memorial, we have what we call a five-fold telos, or end, that we want all of our students to be wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus, that's number one, to have a masterful command of language, and then I break that down, that it's not just English, it's Latin, it's grammar, it's math as language, as communicating ideas, and it's music in communication of ideas and math. So, wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus, masterful command of language, a well-rounded and lifelong student, which stands for eager learner, not just how we think of the word student, but student etymologically is an eager learner. So, that's three of the five. The fourth is discerning with sound reason for the purposes of mathematical and scientific reasoning. And the fifth, for the purpose of serving their neighbor, all for the active life of love in vocation. So a student is to be wise into salvation with a masterful command of language, a well-rounded and lifelong student discerning with sound reason for mathematical and scientific purposes, for the purpose of loving their neighbor in their daily life. That fivefold telos I find, covers any trade, career path, a vocation in the three estates that one wishes to go into. We want plumbers and electricians and HVAC and, and the whole nine yards, but they also should be able to communicate and think well and speak well and be involved in engaging in discussions about literature and history and know their catechism. I don't think that a Lutheran instructed by the scriptures and the confessions should desire that anyone not be well-educated, even if it's just sort of a basic version. So, you know, at our school, everybody takes Latin, first grade uh, on up. And we added ninth grade last year. We're adding 10th grade next year. We let people choose a different language in 11th grade. So you could switch to Greek if you wanted to. But I think 
only staying with Latin is useful for pretty much everybody, regardless of whether you want to go to trade school after high school or pursue a PhD. You can be a well-rounded plumber who can discuss Plato and see that that actually matters for plumbing. I mean, part of the problem is, is that usefulness has been redefined. For Luther, usefulness was, was what it was for Cicero. It was tied up with what was honorable. Use and honor were combined. And we have a lot of work to do as Lutherans to reclaim a truly useful education, which is useless in the eyes of the world, combined with our catechesis, which actually does benefit the trades, the academy, the home, and the community. Well, and even just the point that you would bring in about how Luther understood usefulness and so forth, that's all brought out by an understanding of words mean things, as my wife loves to say, and what do those words mean, and how do we communicate and talk about those sorts of things. And that will matter, again, even for the plumber as much as it is for the college-educated person. And even ties and binds us together. And we find out that we can start to have common points of discussion that even though I'm not called to the vocation of being a plumber, that we can interact as human beings with one another and have shared experiences and actually come together in communities, which seems to be the great desire of our culture these days is constantly talking about unity. Of course, as Christians, we're united in Christ. But then that common human unity as well, that we're actually brought together when we can talk about things with one another and not be segmented and entirely fractured from one another. Uh, Just lots of thoughts that we could go off on there. I'm mindful of our time here. I want to get a couple more things in here as well before we're out of time. First, kind of building on that idea then, not to get entirely pragmatic on this, as I've kind of railed against that uh, a little bit here today. But in that sort of vein, then, how do we carry out Lutheran education formed from this confessional view as we've been talking about? How is Lutheran education carried out that is truly confessional? Well, it can be done at home or in the school connected to the church as an outgrowth of the church. If your congregation has a school, it's important to either be on the school board or if you're a teacher to speak to your principal or headmaster or your pastor and see how your school can better align its curriculum and its pedagogy with the Book of Concord and the scriptures. There was and is a way of educating that best suits the theology that we fight and stand for, and it's generally not held in McGraw-Hill or Pearson. It is often that which is in the past which was really the key to many flourishing periods in human history. Anytime that you study history and you see a little golden light, say, in the Carolingian Renaissance or the rise of the university or the Renaissance, when that's happening, something else is happening, and it's called classical education. You find it every time. Even if you want to just talk about the Reformation, instead of the Renaissance, classical education is what Luther and Melanchthon are doing. So in a pragmatic way, if your school has never heard of classical or never thought of classical, if your congregation has a school, you should read Luther on education and see how you can make some conversations towards changing the education to be a better representative of our inheritance. There are books you can read. There's this Consortium for Classical Lutheran Education, of which I'm the vice chair of the board, There are lots of our schools around the country and lots of other Christians, not Lutherans, who are very involved in this. So there's that. You can work on your school. You could start a school. For those who are at home, who are homeschooling, there's lots of curricula that can be used to implement this at home, Lutheran and non-Lutheran. For those who are in public school, government school, by choice or by necessity, if you can choose, you should find an alternative. And I say that. Um, and it might sound harsh, but the pedagogy of the government school is very difficult to work out of your mind and of your heart. If we're to raise our children in the scriptures and the confessions, we should raise them in a place that is compatible with it. If there's no alternative at all for you, then you have a lot of work to do at home. 
or perhaps you can enlist faithful people at church to assist you, either in, in extra groups at church or Sunday afternoons or Saturday afternoons or something that allows children to receive this great treasury of thought that is the most consistent with our scripture and confessions. All right. And one last thing with just a couple of minutes left here before we need to part for the day. Go ahead. I've been trying to ask all of my guests this as I've been going through this series of why Concord matters for the various subjects that we've been addressing. Give us your parting thoughts of why Concord matters for Lutheran education. To call an education Lutheran is to say something about the education. And particularly Lutheran education comes from a particularly Lutheran place. It is chiefly the proclamation of the gospel. But the proclamation of the gospel, the free gift of Christ Jesus for the sake of sinful man, comes with a way of living out that love of Jesus. And that love of Jesus toward the neighbor is lived out in a particular kind of education, one that Jesus would even recognize a little bit of from his own context. This education is a Christian one because it chiefly confesses Christ. And it is a freeing one because Christ is the only one who actually sets us free. So bound to the scriptures and the confessions as their exposition, the question can always be begged, what should the education look like that best supports this worldview of a Lutheran? That is a great and important matter for all of us to think about and consider for Concord in Lutheran education. Because as you said, from the trades to the academy to the home, the family, and our life together in the church, in all things, it always comes back to directing us to Christ and seeing him in all of life. Thank you, Pastor and Headmaster Robert Paul. It has been a great pleasure having you join us for Concord Matters today and discussing with us why Concord matters for Lutheran education. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.